see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. So last week, Rabbi Michael started our series on where has the Ruach HaKodesh gone by sharing how we have allowed this special inheritance to be stolen from us by the enemy of our soul. And he encouraged us to take back the promise of God into our lives and exhorted us on God's declaration in his word to send his Ruach uh, into our lives. So today we continue this series with my message, which is entitled Clues in the Attic. And we're going to be focusing the next uh, three messages on the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts, which records that initial fulfillment of the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh as promised in the scriptures in the Tanakh that Rabbi Michael spoke about last week and in the New Covenant that Yeshua uh, spoke of. And as he shared last week, this first century Kehillah walked in the power of the Ruach and totally transformed its world, proclaiming the good news of Messiah with signs, wonders that confirm the truth of who Yeshua is. Do you hear me? They walked in the power of the Spirit. They boldly proclaimed the Besorah, the good news, and the Spirit confirmed that proclamation with signs and wonders. So today we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and then verse 1 of chapter 2. You can follow along on the screen or in your tree book or e-book. After his death, he showed himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. During a period of 40 days, they saw him, and he spoke with them about the kingdom of God. At one of these gatherings, he instructed them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which you heard about from me. For Yochanan used to immerse people in water, but in a few days you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh. When they were together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore self-rule to Israel? He answered, you don't need to know the dates or the times. The Father has kept these under his own authority. But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon you. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Yehuda and Shomron, indeed to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were standing uh, there staring into the sky after him, suddenly they saw two men dressed in white standing next to them. The men said, You Galileans, why are you standing staring into space? This Yeshua who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back to you in just the same way you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned the Shabbat walk distance from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. After entering the city, they went into the upstairs room where they were staying. The names of the emissaries were Kepha, Yaakov, Yochanan, Andrew, Philip, Toma, Bartamai, Matiahu, Yaakov ben Halfa, Shimon the Zealot, and Yehuda ben Yaakov. These all devoted themselves single-mindedly to prayer, along with some women, including Miriam, Yeshua's mother, and his brothers. And then skipping down to chapter 2, verse 1, the festival of Shavuot arrived, 
and the believers all gathered together in one place. So these Talmudim went back to Jerusalem after Yeshua ascended into heaven, and they went into what has been uh, called the upper room. And their behavior and actions in that upper room give us clues to how we can prepare ourselves to receive what Adonai desires to pour out on Shavuot 2019. Amen. Amen. They went and they prepared. They heard what God said and they went to receive the promise. God has spoken his promises to us. Michael reminded us last week of it. And in these next couple of weeks, we're going to be continuing to speak on that. And God wants us to be ready to receive what he wants to pour out on Shavuot 2019. So let's look at the clues that the disciples leave for us and that, uh, through this passage here. The first thing is don't get sidetracked by non-essentials. In verses 6 through 7, we see... Yeshua interacting with the Talmudim. Now, they had a lot of pressing matters on their minds, and they had questions that they wanted answered by Yeshua. Now, their questions were not wrong questions, but they were not essential to the moment and what God was about to do. I want us to, to realize that we can have good intentions, that we can have good questions, but miss the mark because we are focused on an area that God is not focused at for this particular season and time in life. We talk a lot about the Moedim whenever we come up to them. That word Moed, I've said before, means a, a, a set, a point in time. God has appointed times on the calendar. We was uh, talking about this, you know, yesterday, Michael, as we were driving around, we were doing a few errands, and, you know, why did God decide to pour out his Ruach in Acts chapter 2 on that particular day, uh, that year of Shavuot? Because that was the day that he had set aside, right? It says, in, in, in the fullness of time, Yeshua came to earth. He was born into this world. And in other words, it was an appointed season and an appointed time. So God has these appointed times where he is ready to do something. And it's our responsibility to be tuned in to the time and the season and what God is doing. We don't always tune ourselves in. We are sometimes like the disciples. We are distracted because we have these things that are pressing on us that we feel are so important and that we need to know. Many of us struggle with questions that we want God to ask, answer us. And we can easily get entangled uh, in this web that leads us into uh, confusion and even down in unbelief because we won't let go, which then hinders the hand of God from releasing his promises into our lives. Let's think about it. The Talmudim. Their hope had been for a Messiah who would deliver them from the rule of Rome. They grew up hearing stories of this Messiah that would come and that when the Messiah came, that the whole world would be changed. That uh, the oppression that they lived under would be broken. That he would lead this great military revolt and would restore Jewish self-rule over Jerusalem, and that he would right all wrongs done against the Jewish people. See, that was their hope, and that was their expectation. Now think about what they have just gone through. Such a traumatic experience. They have walked with Yeshua for three years. 
and they have their hope in him. They, they believe he is the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, this Messiah, who they believe is going to deliver and set up his kingdom and lead this revolt against Rome, Rome is hung on a tree and is killed and, and buried in a grave. And with that, all hope of their revolt and of their, uh, their deliverance and freedom goes. But three days later, this Messiah comes alive. And now for 40 days, he is walking with them and talking with them and teaching them. So can you imagine what they are feeling inside? Surely this is the season. Surely this is the time. He was dead, but now he's alive. He must be the one who is going to set up rule. He's going to deliver us. He's going to overthrow these Romans, and we're going to be right there with him. This is going to be awesome. Finally, the fulfillment of everything that we have heard and been taught. That's what they were thinking. And so this is going on and on in their minds. The, and, and, and they come to the point where, okay, let's finally ask him. Now, by now, we know the history of the relationship with the, the disciples and their little quibblings be, thing between each other and stuff like this. But I noticed that it says, they asked him. Because I can hear them. I'm one of six kids, right? My kids are only two, and they do this uh, to, the, to each other, trying to get one to ask the favor from the parent and the other. So with six kids, you know, I was considered my dad's favorite. So I was often, you ask dad because you're his favorite, right? I always got tired of asking, so I would often say, let Helen ask because she's the baby. The baby gets everything the baby wants, right? So there was always this, you know, you be the one to ask. No, you ask, you ask. So I could just see the disciples doing that. Kefa, you ask. You're the bold one. Go ahead. Oh, no, you know, I really blew it. I'm not going to be the one. Yokonon, you ask. He, he, you're his favorite. You... And back and forth until finally they said, okay, let's just ask together, right? And it says they asked him, Yeshua, is this the time? Are you going to do it? Are you going to establish self-rule once again for us as a Jewish people? I don't think they expected the answer they got. He said, you don't need to know. Ouch. We don't need to know. Yeshua, this is the biggest question of our time. And we don't need to know the answer. Are you kidding us? And Yeshua directed them to refocus their thoughts to what they really needed at that hour and season of their lives. And he is doing the same for us today. He tells us to put aside the questions. You think you need these answers to go forward in life, but God is saying this this morning. I am telling you that what you need is a fresh impartation of the Ruach HaKodesh. The questions that you think you need the answers to hold you in your past when I have a glorious future prepared for you. God's speaking to us today saying you need to receive the promise of the Father into your life, and that should be your focus at this season. With the right focus, everything will change and your questions will be taken care of because you will have an eternal perspective an eternal perspective. And that is exactly what happened to the Talmudim. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Focus your minds on the things above, not on things here on earth. 
You see, the Talmudim's question revealed that their focus was on earthly things. Let's set up our kingdom. Let's overthrow these Romans. They're so mean and cruel. God wanted them to focus on eternal things and to be ready to receive what he wanted to do. God wants you to be ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. God wants us to be ready. You see, after that Shavuot, the Talmudim went forward in great power. Their questions were insignificant. It didn't matter to them anymore. They were on the greatest adventure of their lives, empowered to live a life that would transform the whole known world. When they received that impartation, I don't think they gave a hoot about what the Romans were doing. I don't think it mattered to them anymore because they were empowered and they had a focus on eternity and they knew that this resurrection power that rose Yeshua from the dead now lived inside of them and that this power was to enable them to spread the good news of Yeshua wherever they went, to see people healed, that even their shadows healed the sick, that they lay their hands on the sick, that they proclaim the good news, that 3,000 came to faith in one day, 2,000 another day, daily's number being added. How did that happen? because they were focused on eternity, not on the here and now. God wants us to be focused on eternity because that's what's going to last, not the things here in the natural realm. That's our first clue. Change our focus. Lay aside our questions for the moment. The second clue that we see is that they united together. We see this from chapter 2, verse 1. And this verse gives us a clue as to what true unity is. There are two phrases used in the Greek, which the complete Jewish Bible translates as coming together in one place. Coming together in one place. And this phrase, coming together, uh, denotes, quote, the inner unity of a group of people engaged in an externally similar action. And it can thus be rendered with one mind, in some translations even translated that way. I want us to understand the usage in the first century Greek reveals that this unity of mind requires people to set aside uh, their own personal feelings and to unite together towards a common good. So the coming together is not based on my personal preference or on your personal preference. Do you understand that? They had to lay aside their personal ideologies and preferences. You see, unity cannot be achieved if we each hold on to those ideologies, preferences, and plans. They had to lay down their thoughts of deliverance from Rome, and they had to unite for a greater cause. And as I said, that greater cause was the kingdom of God. The psalmist tells us in Tehillim 133, verse 1, Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And as you read through the rest of those verses, it says, There God commands what? A blessing. Without unity, that first century Kehilah would not have received the impartation that God desired, and they would not have operated in that power, and they would not have seen the great transformation not only in their own lives but in the world. God is calling us to walk in a greater unity than we are today. One writer explains it this way. Luke draws attention to the fact that the early Kehilah were all joined together. What a contrast this was to the jealousy exhibited before Yeshua's death, where each one wanted to be the greatest. Remember that? The little dialogue and who's going to be the greatest? 
They're not thinking about that now. You see, that's what unity means. It means it's not about my position or your position. It's not about who sees me or who sees you. It's all about Yeshua. As we sung, Yeshua, you're the reason we came. You know, and in the first song, we exalt you, right? Christina asked me, what is the Hebrew saying here? Nitin lo kavod. We give you glory. It's not about you. It's not about me, right? It's about him, that he is high and lifted up, that he is exalted. And that's what the Talmudim understood. They came together, united around a purpose. What was that, that purpose? That Yeshua's name would be high and lifted up. What this world needs today is not, you know, more policies. It's not no, uh, more laws. This world needs the name of Yeshua to be, be proclaimed loud and clear for him to be high and lifted up because he and he alone can change this world and drastically bring release and peace and everything that is needed in our world today. And that should be our focus, and we should be united around that. You see, unity cannot take place if we allow our pride to control us. And if we are all jockeying for a position and demanding that things be done our way. The kingdom of God is about serving. And these Talmudim came together and they learned to serve. To serve the community, to serve one another. And we talked about this even on our Wednesday night studies. This article goes on to further explain the unity here in Acts 2 saying... It denotes the unity of a group, meaning with, they came with the same emotion and the same passion of persuasion. There was a unanimous consent. It describes an entire harmony of views and feelings as well as a singleness of mind. It means there were no schisms, no divisions, no divided interests, no discordant purposes. Friends, too many times in the body there are divided interests and so many opinions of what should be done I want to tell you who cares what you think. Just telling you. Who cares what you think? God doesn't. I don't. God doesn't even care what I think. And I I don't mean that disrespectfully. Who cares what you think? We can get so caught up in, well, but I have an opinion, Rabbi Carol, and I think it should be done this way. Great, then go do it. Go do it. Right? They laid those things aside, again, for the greater cause. Obviously, there has to be order. Obviously, there has to be guidelines, and and we can flow with that. So I'm not saying throw everything out. But when we get so locked in that, that, oh, I can't be a part of this because, you know, that's not how I would do it. Okay, that's not how you would do it. Unity means I'm here. You can count on me. Let's go forward Let's see the kingdom of God advance on Long Island and among our Jewish people like it has never advanced before. That's what we need to do. Do you have an idea? Good, let's go for it. You get out there and I'll be right behind you. I don't have to always be the one with the ideas. Trust me, I don't have to be the one with the ideas. If we can unite as one following the heart of God and his purpose for this kehilah, what a difference we will make. What a difference we will make. Another author said, this unity refers to a group acting as one. 
acting as one. I like to watch sometimes, not that it's on a lot, but you know, the, the synchronized swimming and stuff like that, right? And, and, and you see these, how they move just all in unison. It's just amazing, right? It's really one unit, or even some of the, the marching bands and things, and when they you know, do the shot from up in the sky and you see the designs that they're making, it is just amazing how they move as one. They move as one, and they're able to accomplish those things. Think what we as a body can do if we move as one. You see, the unity opened the door for the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh into that group of first century believers. And as I said, it empowered them to not only be personally transformed, but to transform the world around them. The other key to this unity is that they gathered together in one place. Duh. Okay, it really is. This is a no-brainer, right? They came together in one place. See, unity is about being like-minded with the passion and goals, but it also involves physically coming together. It's just sort of common sense. How can we work together if we don't come together? Now, I know that we live in what is called the postmodern world, and in this environment, the community of faith, as many other communities, suffer from a lack of commitment. I get it that there are demands placed on every one of our lives, from your work, from your family, from society, and, and often these things take precedent over a commitment to the Kehilah and the kingdom of God. And I'm just going to tell you, once again, because I love you, friends, this should not be so. Kingdom business is the business of eternity. And you can quote me on that. Kingdom business is the business of eternity. When it's all said and done, when we stand before God Almighty, and we will, every single person here in this room, every single person listening to this broadcast, it's not going to be about how much money we made. It's not going to be about what house we lived in. It's not going to be about the job I had, about the places I visited, or the activities I made sure my family participated in. It's going to be, what did I do for eternity? Everything else, Rob Shule tells us, is hay and stubble. But what happens to hay and stubble? Burns up. For eternity, that's the gold. That's the stuff that's going to last. My son was talking, you know his history, the history buff and things. He says, we was talking about archaeological finds. And when they find you know, gold, it is still shining. It just doesn't lose, Right? And that's, that's the things for eternity. Those are the things that are gonna, going to last. And that's what we need to be united around. When the first century Kehilah came together, not just here in Acts chapter 2, but throughout the entire book, their personal needs and desires were also taken care of as they impacted their community for eternity, seeing lives changed and transformed through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. Even Rena's testimony about God meeting her financial need as she said last week, the congregation is in a difficult time, and, and uh, she asked people to give extra, and yet she herself struggled as a leader to do that because she knows the personal needs she had, yet God met her need exactly, right? And it was the same here in this first century Kehilah. As they put kingdom business first, what happened? God took care of their needs, and we see that recorded for us throughout the book of Acts. 
In Wednesday night's study, we, we were talking about how the whole book, from Bereshit to Revelation, the, the Tanakh and the Newer Covenant, is all about community. But our modern society, it's all about the individual, even in the arena of faith. And after the study, Michael and I were talking about this, uh, you know, Wednesday night, and I said, it reminds me of a song, how are these songs from my youth group growing up? I don't know them very well, but I always know these one-liners. So this is the one-liner that from this song. Me and Yeshua, we got our own thing going. Right? Wrong. It's not me and Yeshua got our own thing going. It's me and Yeshua and Christina and Chris and Ray Lynn and Gary and Myrna and Edie. In other words, it's a community. It's not me and Yeshua doing our own little thing. It was never me and Yeshua or Moses and, and God. It was always about community from the Torah to Tanakh and to the New Covenant. Community is what it's about. And that community needs the unity to go forward and to see God do what he wants to do. In other words, you and I must be intimately connected in heart and soul for the purpose of the kingdom of God. I want to be a history maker in my generation. I want to see the kingdom of God advance across Long Island and into the greater New York area, impacting the almost 2 million Jewish people. The statistic from a couple years ago, to be exact, 1.77 million Jewish people within the eight counties that make up the metropolitan New York area. I want to see lots of them come to faith in Yeshua the Messiah. But I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need to come together to see Jewish revival, and we need to be empowered from on high. Transformation will not take place through human means or ingenuity. It was prayed several times in our Thursday night prayer meeting in the group that I was leading on prayer. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You and I cannot manipulate. We cannot make revival happen, but we can certainly position ourselves where God can flow and move through, the, through us. And that's what this first century Talmudim did. And God wants his power and spirit to flow. He is looking for people who are willing to unite together and say, He knew here we are, God, at this season and at this hour. We are tuning our ears into what you are saying and what you are doing. We get it. There is a lost world around us, and they need to know the good news of Messiah. Send us Send us, empower us, anoint us to bring the good news, transform us, change us from the inside out so that we can change our community. Amen? Nehemiah chapter 3 is an example of what coming together looks like. In 52 days, can you say that with me? 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. Why? Because everyone showed up. Hello? It was, it was Nehemiah out there by himself? It, he would not have accomplished it. When you read through that chapter, it could be a little boring chapter to read because it says, 
you know, Rebecca was at this gate, and Chris was at this gate, and Adeline was at this gate, and Lucia was at this gate, and, you know, Joe was at this gate, and Jim was at this gate, and Fred was at, you know, like, okay, list of names. But you know what that list of names represented? It represented people showing up and saying, I'm here, Nehemiah, you can count on me. I'm here to help with this vision. I'm here to help build this wall. And in 52 days, the walls were built up. What could we do if we unite together under the banner of Yeshua and under the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh? This community will be ablaze and on fire for God. This building will not be able to contain what God wants to do. The work of the kingdom was not accomplished just through the major players in the book of Acts, like Kepha and Yochanan, but by everyday people who showed up and did their part, who made the kingdom of God a priority. Acts 8, chapter 4 tells us that the people who were scattered abroad proclaimed the good news wherever they went. Who were those people who were scattered abroad? It was not the emissaries, Kepha, Yochanan, Yaakov. They all stayed in Jerusalem. It was everyday people who just were scattered because of the persecution, but in their being scattered, they went in a boldness and they proclaimed the good news and they saw lives changed and transformed. Kingdom business is not just something Rabbi Michael and I should be devoted to or the leadership of this congregation or any congregation leader. If you're listening to me on the podcast and you're committed to a congregation, Kingdom business is what every believer needs to be devoted to. Every person, turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. Every person in this kehila, every person listening to this podcast around the world, because we know we're listening around the world, and thank you again to Randy for faithfully putting this up, you are vitally important to advancing the purposes of God for this kehila at this season and at this hour. You are not here by accident. You have a role and a part to play. And as we are leading up to Shavuot, two weeks from today, we will be celebrating Shavuot 2019. And I am here to tell you God wants to do something that he's never done before here at Beth Emanuel. And we need to prepare ourselves just like these Talmudim did. So they, they refocused themselves and they went and they united. And then let's look at what else they did. They devoted themselves to prayer. Chapter 1, verse 14. Now, the fact that Luke draws attention to their prayer is very significant. Why do I say that? Because they were praying people already. We read in the book of Acts how they went up to pray at the time of prayer in the temple. It was just woven into the fabric of life for the Jewish community of the first century. So, what Luke is telling us is that they committed themselves even more so to prayer. That was more than what was their normal practice. And during these days of counting the Omer, we have encouraged uh, each of us to be praying each day as we count and set aside our offering, which we're going to bring in two weeks from today. And I cannot stress the importance of prayer in seeing God's purposes for this congregation come to pass. As I said, the disciples were already praying people, but they prayed more. And as we enter into the, the summer season here with the Memorial Day weekend and the summer starting, 
You know, we're going to our summer schedule, and we're not going to have prayer on Saturday anymore. There'll be no prayer this afternoon. But we have that Thursday night prayer meeting, and I want to tell you, I've, we've said this since the beginning of the year when we did this series on prayer, something has changed and that you're showing up. And I don't say that disrespectfully, but at the end of last year, sometimes it was my family and one other person. It was a little discouraging, I just have to say, as a leader, you know. And sometimes we started, and it was just the four of us, or three, because my daughter had a class. But you guys are showing up. And, and, and it's powerful what God is doing as we devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is not optional, okay? Prayer is not just, oh, let's just do this because we have nothing else to do. Prayer is a tool that God has given us to cooperate with him, to combine our efforts with him, to see his power released in our world in an unprecedented way. So I want to encourage you to devote yourselves to these Thursday nights of congregational prayer. We have two more Thursday night prayer meetings before Shavuot. I want you to come out and pray together with one another. Pray for fresh outpouring of the Ruach this year. Again, this has to do with focus, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point because we did a whole series on prayer at the beginning of the year. But I just want to say that one of the hardest disciplines to learn in this area is to focus and to not pray for certain things. Hear me out. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for Aunt Susie's toe that she stubbed this week, okay? That's great. If I stub my toe, I run. But that may not be what's on God's heart right now, okay? And I'm going to tell you, in these next two weeks, like those Talmudim gathered, right? It was 40 days. It was 10 days. We have a little more than 10 days. So those last 10 days, they went to that upper room, and they gathered, and they were together praying and seeking God. I want to encourage us as a congregation to focus together in the next 14 days on the promise that God is encouraging us about, what this holiday is all about. It is about the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh and his anointing and his power to flow in our lives. Yeshua told the disciples, focus on the promise that you've heard me speak about. It says single-mindedly. That word's used ten times in the book of Acts. Single-mindedly, they come together. I want us to focus single-mindedly in the next two weeks in prayer, intense prayer for Shavuot. So I challenge you this morning. Can you come for one hour on Thursday night? Can you lay down your personal preference and needs to press in to see a mighty outpouring and move a God in our community that would not uh, and should not just be contained within these walls, but that would impact the streets around us and our community as we go into this world equipped with power and the renewed vision for the kingdom of God and his purposes for this congregation? Can we do that? United, committed to prayer? Come the next two weeks. 
Continue to count your Omer. If you lost your calendar, there's still a few out there. Take them. Even if it's a kid's one, just take it and count the Omer tonight. Look on the Facebook page. I, I've, I've scheduled them for the whole rest of the time so you can keep count. And count and count with the anticipation and expectation, which we're going to talk about here as I close the message. But pray, pray, pray fervently. God, do something fresh and new. Do something you have never done before. That is the cry of my heart. And you know that I have been around for a while. Not that I'm old, but I've been in the faith since I was a wee little one, six years old. He renews my youth as the eagle. I am young. But I am telling you that my heart is stirred because I know that God wants to do something that I have never seen before, and I have seen a lot with these eyes. And I have been in a lot of different uh, experiences within the body of Messiah over these many years. But I know that I know that Shavuot 2019, God wants something new for me. And God wants something new for you and for this congregation. And I'm here to tell you, let us press into prayer and let us take the last clue from these Talmudim, and that is to wait with expectation. Verse 4 says they waited. The Hebrew word for wait is the same word for hope, and it is a word familiar to all of us. It's the word tikva. And I have spoken on this word and concept so many times in the past. And the Greek word used here in Acts chapter 1 is perimeno, and it is only used this one time in the whole new covenant. It's never used anywhere else. They waited. But both that Greek word and that Hebrew word for wait has this connotation of expectation. So when Yeshua told his Talmudim, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise that you have heard me speak about, he wasn't telling them to go back and sit around and do nothing. Amen? One article explains the meaning of the verb this wait. To wait is to stay in one place and to anticipate or expect something. It conveys the sense to wait and expect for an upcoming event, in this case, the coming of the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh. In the classical Greek, perimeno meant to expect, in other words, to look for something to occur or to appear, to look forward to, uh, uh, to anticipate. Another article said, to wait means that they had a promise it would come. To wait means they must receive, for they could not could not create it themselves. To wait means they would be tested by waiting at least a little. To wait means they knew something was going to happen. They knew something was going to happen. I am telling you right now, something is going to happen on Shavuot, June 8th, in this sanctuary today. I'm telling you, something has happened. God's presence was here today powerfully as we were at the end of worship. I'm like, wow, God, this is good. And I'm, but in my mind, I said, something greater is going to happen on June 8th. I'm telling you, don't miss it. And I'm telling you, better bring people. Because God has promised he, he was going to do something. He set this holiday of Shavuot. It's a moed. It's an appointed time for something significant to happen, and that something significant has to do with the person and power of the Ruach HaKodesh. I want you to be expecting. 
in these 14 days, I want you to wait and to expect for God to do something fresh in you. These Talmudim went to the room in Jerusalem, and they waited expecting that something was going to happen to them. I want to stir your hearts up and for you to be, pil- uh, be, to be filled with great expectation. One writer shares the biblical definition of the word hope is an absolute expectation of coming good. Friends, something good is coming into your life on Shavuot 2019. Hope in the Bible, amen, is describing something that you can count on something that you can bank on, something that you can base your entire life upon. I'm not up here blowing off hot air. I am telling you, I know that I know because God is a promise keeper. My husband shared about these promises last week that God is going to do something fresh and new in this place on Shavuot 2019, and I want to be ready for it, and I want you to be ready for it. There are many of you who have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and I want you to believe that this is the year, this is the season, this is the time that you will receive, because that is the gift that God has promised to give you. I want everyone to expect a fresh outpouring and impartation. I was filled with the, the, the Ruach HaKodesh when I was about 10 or 12 years old. And I want more, I want more, I want more. When we read throughout the book of Acts, we see that that initial experience happened in Acts chapter 2. But throughout the book, it says when they were gathered together, the spirit fell again. And spirit fell again. And he fell again. And he strengthened them. And he gave them a fresh impartation. And friends, that's what we need. As my daughter and I were talking this week about our faith and our walk, I said, Abigail, you're going from one degree of glory to another. Doesn't mean that you are not okay with God. Doesn't mean that you're not on track, but Rob Shule tells us it's one degree of glory. I'm ready to go to the next degree of glory. Amen. I'm ready to go forward in God, not backward. I want the more that he has to give me this year, and I want you to expect that more with me. Amen. And finally, our expectation is tied to faith. The Talmudim believed in Yeshua. They trusted him. He said, go and wait for the promise you heard me talk about. We must believe in the truth of the scriptures. Rabbi Michael went over those promises last week. If you missed that message, go listen to it on the podcast. You have to believe in the truth of the word of God. Because without faith, our expectations are dead. Faith and expectation, faith and hope are not the same thing, but they're intimately tied together. You have to have faith. I believe in who God says he is. I believe that he is the God who sends his spirit on the earth. I believe he wants to do greater things in this day and age. I believe that he's going to do an end-time revival among our Jewish people, the likes that have never been seen in 2,000 years. I believe it. And therefore, I can have hope and expectation. And yet, as Rena said in her Devar Torah, no matter what, what you haven't seen happen, I don't care. I don't care what I haven't seen yet in my life. My focus is on who he is. He is a God who has made promises. He is the best promise keeper. And he has made very clear that he is going to 
pour out his spirit and greater things than he did will we do. I want to tell you that healing is going to flow in this sanctuary. Those of you who are struggling with sickness and disease in your body, I want you to grab hold of this truth. He is a God who heals, and you need to know that God wants you to walk in divine health, not with sickness and disease crippling your body. And it happens through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. We eagerly wait to see what God will do next. My soul is longing for Shavuot this year as I yearn for more of God. In my journal this week, my devotional journal, I wrote down one day, God, there must be more. God, there must be more. And I love God, and I love what he is already in my life. But there's something inside of me that says, God, there must be more. And I want to position myself to receive that more. Friends, at close, I want to just encourage you to believe in the promise that God has made. Rabbi Michael again spoke about it last week. That promise is for you. It is for this congregation. And I want you to expect God to fulfill that promise to us on June 8th here in this sanctuary. He wants to unleash the power of his spirit into our lives as we've never experienced before, taking us to a new level in him. The power of the Holy Spirit raised Yeshua from the dead, and that same power he wants us to walk in. Abigail and I started reading a book this this week. I'm going to probably write a word for the week tonight before I officially go on vacation, so expect it. And I believe I'm going to share about this book uh, it's by Reinhard Bonnke. Most of us know him. God has used powerfully to touch the nation of Africa. And he said several times, we only read the first five pages, but it's so amazing. He said, dead raising power lives inside of you. Dead raising power lives inside of you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So I want you to expect, wait for God to do something here on Shavuot. Tehillim 42.11, Psalm 42.11, one translation says, expect God to act. I'm expecting God to act. Ephesians tells me, exceedingly abundantly, beyond all that I could ask or imagine. And I'm asking and imagining for a lot. 1.77 million Jewish people I'm asking for 1.77 million Jewish people I'm believing for to come to know their Messiah. Amen. Stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for the clues that you have given us today. Clues that will enable us to position ourselves as that first century Tommy Deem did to be ready on Shavuot for what you want to do in this place.
going to blow our minds, God. You're just going to do something so fantastic. And we just thank you, Lord. So as a congregation, we respond, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes. We hear what you're telling us. We're going to refocus. We're going to put aside all of our own questions and lack of understanding of this or that and focus on on what you want to do on the person of your Holy Spirit and his power. We're going to unite together, God. We're going to We're going to flow as one, one with kingdom business. And these next two weeks, we're going to unite in prayer, and that unity in prayer is not going to stop after Shavuot, but I believe our Thursday night prayer meetings are going to become some of the best attended meetings in this congregation, and that people from all over this island will be joining us in that prayer meeting. And Father, we're going to wait and expect for you to come and do what only you can do on June 8th, 2019 in this sanctuary here at exit 61 of the Long Island Expressway. We're waiting and we're longing. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. I want to close with the ironic benediction and just speak this blessing on you. I know many of you have some plans with family today and this weekend. I just pray that your weekend would be blessed. Uh, And I just encourage you to, what we prayed at the beginning, that you would apply this word in your lives as you leave from this place. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. Isa Adonai Panabaleka Vyasimlacha Shalom. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace of God Almighty. May hope, expectation rule in your heart. Bishim Yeshua. Shabbat Shalom.